Welcome to Mindfulness Coaching for Female Minority Physicians. I'm your host, Sogol Palawan, MD, aka Dr. Sogol. This is a podcast for female minority physicians that are ready to embark on an inner journey of self-fulfillment, to find joy by connecting to the present moment. In this podcast, you will learn to fully take back responsibility of your life by reclaiming your power and committing to being your most authentic self. Let's get started. I have a special treat for y'all today. We have Dr. Melissa Hankins with uh, with us today, and I am so excited. I met Dr. Hankins through a mutual friend of ours, physician friend of ours, and I have heard her talk on many, many clubhouses. I don't know if you're familiar with Clubhouse, but she is amazing, and she is going to share all her wisdom and all her experience and really tell her story of where she started in where she is now. So she is a 17 years Harvard trained psychiatrist. She is a certified executive coach and an emotional freedom technique, the EFT tapping practitioner. She is also the founder and CEO of Melissa Hankins Coaching, where she does coaching with mindset and life coaching for physicians and other high performers who may look great on the outside, but struggling on the inside. I love this because her work is very much that inner work that I talk about, that inner work that, you know, was super big for me. I was like, what is inner work? What does that mean? And so we're going to take a deep dive into kind of her story and what her inner work looks like for her, because I think it's very individual and very different. There's a lot of modalities out there that we can use for inner work and it's whatever resonates. And part of the the guests that I do bring to my podcast, I really want to share their unique insight as to the tools that they use and how those tools have specifically helped them in their healing process. And, you know, some tools might resonate with you and other tools might not resonate with you. So I just want to give you an option of everything that is out there. So welcome, Dr. Hankins. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm just, I've been so excited to sit down and talk with you and talk with your audience. And uh, yeah, so this is, this is awesome. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Okay. So let's start at the beginning, kind of like, like a recap of like where you grew up, like med school, like high school, med school, residency, psychiatry, what that experience was as as a psychiatrist and where you worked. And then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is I was actually born in Utah, went, uh, lived in California for high school, and then went out to Massachusetts for everything else, basically. (laughs) So so for undergrad, I went to Harvard. And then for med school, I went to Boston University. And then residency, I did Harvard Longwood Psychiatry Residency Program. So it's now divided, but it was at the time I did it back, I don't even know how many (laughs) years ago, a couple of decades ago, (laughs) was Beth Israel Deaconess, Brigham Women's, Mm -hmm. Children's Hospital for the Children component of Psych, um, Massachusetts Mental Health Center. And it was it was great. I, I, I loved it. And 
And I then went on to work in some of the Harvard-affiliated hospitals. Mm -hmm. So I worked at Cambridge Health Alliance, which is uh, an academic center. And then I did, I, I did a little bit of everything. There I was working outpatient. I worked in the psych emergency. I was the medical director of the adult partial hospital program there. And then I kind of decreased my time there and joined a, while I was still working there, I joined part-time a group private practice. Mm-hmm. And I phased out of Cambridge and was doing some outpatient psychiatry at a multi-center, multi-specialty organization and did that for several years. And that's where I had my first burnout, really. Mm-hmm. So, but it was it was building. It was, you know, I'm sure it was building. <laughs> yeah. How long, how long were you in practice? Do you remember before you hit that so, burnout? So I finished, I finished residency in 2002 mm-hmm. and I was practicing. I ended up, my, my big burnout happened about 10 years later. Okay. And I was, but it was interesting when I was pregnant with my son who was born in 2008, something told me I didn't want to stay in medicine. Mm. I didn't want to stay practicing. And at that point, that's when I actually got certified as an executive coach Mm. because I wanted to bring in some of my elements of psychiatry. And this was before coaching for physicians was even a thing that was just not even heard of. And so, so the only kind of coaching that was really available was this executive organizational coaching. And I, and I thought, okay, well, I'll do that. I'll, I can combine that with, you know, my, my skills in human behavior, understanding patterns of behavior, all of those things, because I was always a different kind of psychiatrist anyway. Mm -hmm. I was bringing in things like mindfulness, and and being aware and getting to the root cause of things long before mindfulness was was something that was talked about regularly. Mm -hmm. Medicines were actually the last thing that I would ever speak to my patients about. That's amazing. That is amazing. So how did your burnout, so you had your son in 2008 and then you hit burnout in 2010, which was 10 years after practice, you'd said? So so uh, so it was was kind of building in 2010. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, And, but I actually ended up burning out majorly in 2012. And so what happened was I was, I was working full time. I was no longer at the private practice, but I was working full time in this very, very busy outpatient practice Mm -hmm. where of course, you know, our schedules never close. They told us we can't close our schedules basically, you know, Mm -hmm. because we need to be available to all of, to the primary care and, and all of that that was funneling into us, into our department. I was also on the board of registration of medicine for Massachusetts. I was appointed by the governor to be on the board. And so, so I had this inside look of all the licensing and disciplining, which was actually a lot of fun. It was an awesome experience. So I was doing that. I was working crazily full-time, bringing charting home, all mm-hmm. of the things that we all do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just feeling under an avalanche of things, trying to to be a, a mom to this t- awesome toddler and 
in, be in relationship with my fiance at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was just a lot of demands. And of course, my perfectionistic, mm-hmm. um, overworking self kept showing up for, for my work. And I'm like, how do I do this? How do I balance all the things? And I wasn't balancing all the things. Mm-hmm. And so there came a day where I had the thought that my mm-hmm. son would actually be better off if I wasn't around. Mm. And and he was four at the time, and and I said, well, that's not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here I am, this psychiatrist yeah. helping other people with their mental health, and I was struggling so much with my own at that point. And and uh, I went in, and I and I told my my boss that I needed to take a medical leave. I said, I, I didn't. Yeah. How long did it take you? Let's pause there to yes. actually like t- get the courage and take that step and like understand like where you stand in your life and to actually advocate for yourself. Was that something like, did you have the thought of like, I'd rather my, you know, my son is better off without me. And then the next day you stepped into your boss office or was, what was that timeline? like? So, so it's, so that's a great question. So prior to that day that I had that thought, Mm -hmm. I had been struggling. I had been (laughs) struggling to keep up. I was way behind in closing my notes. I was, it was affecting, there were a lot of things going on in my personal relationship with my son's dad. We're no Mm -hmm. longer together actually, but there was just so much that was going on that my home life was, was not supportive. I was trying to do be the the superwoman, super doctor, super mom, super all yep. of that, right? And and this was going on for months and months and months and getting worse and worse. And I actually had seen a psychiatrist thinking, okay, what the hell is going on with me? Because I this is not who I am. Mm-hmm. This was not not being able to keep up, not being able to be the quote unquote superstar, because that was the label I was always given. Right. Like a lot of us were superstars. Right. So so I was no longer showing up as the superstar that I had identified myself to be. Mm-hmm. And and so then so that was building, building, building. And it was that day. That so my son's birthday, my son's fourth birthday mm-hmm. was that Tuesday, that Wednesday, and I remember it was a Wednesday, and I'll tell you why in a, in a second. So that Wednesday, I was getting dressed for work, and I had that thought, mm-hmm. and and then I told my boss that day that I needed to take a medical leave because I was already drowning. I was it was like you know the shit was already hitting the fan, and so mm-hmm. so. Then he told, he asked me, he said, well, okay, but can you come in and see your patients for the next couple of days? Because you've got a full panel of patients and we don't have anywhere to put them. And, you know, you don't want to let your patients or your colleagues down. And of course, being the very good conditioned psychiatrist, doctor, physician that I am and that all of us have been Mm -hmm. conditioned to be, of course, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. So that next morning, that Thursday, I was trying to get dressed and I couldn't. 
was trying to leave the house, get dressed to go to work. I couldn't. I had the first and the most major panic attack I've ever had. I just completely freaked out, just froze, just couldn't do anything. I called the administrator at the office and I said, I was sobbing, sobbing mm-hmm. on the phone. I said, I, I, I can't get dressed. I, I can't get it. I can't leave the house. I was just like, you know, so the, the shame, the grief, the mm-hmm. despair, the hopelessness, all of that was like, oh my God, this is, I'm just, I felt like I was dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, it was horrible. And I've, I'm going to pause right there. I, so for, you know, physicians that are out there that are listening to this, because I know so many of us are struggling with COVID, your body will eventually make you stop. Whether yes. you like it or not, or whether that's the right time or not the right time, it doesn't care. So I just want to put in a plug and say, if you are feeling stressed, if you are feeling overwhelmed, if you are not performing or doing not even performing to your highest, you know, standards that you have, but if you're not, if it's affecting your, your daily, right? Daily, just routine things that you used to do that it used to come so easily to you. If you're struggling with that, those things know that get help, like reach out way earlier than you would think, because yes, like the comment that you made about I went to my boss and I told him, I can't do this anymore. And he was like, oh, but you, can you just do it for a couple of more days? Like, which is right? so typical. Like, oh, okay. Well, can you just like suck it up for another week? Because we've got patients on the schedule and we've got, and, and those are the messages that you will hear, right? Because that's the expectation that's been created for us for so long. And I think that's the expectation that we have created for ourselves, right? So I'm not blaming the boss to being like, oh my God, he was not, he was an empathetic or whatever. It was just that that's just how we have trained them to be, right? It's like, I show up, even though if I have a 104 fever, I'll take some Motrin and I'll show up to work. But that is what you have to really look at, right? Is that when you do show up for yourself, when you advocate for yourself, don't think that people are going to be understanding and give you a, some people might, but that's not the norm, right? Majority are going to be like, wait, no, like you've got the schedule, you've got this, you're, you know, you're irresponsible or whatever. So, and this is such a great example of what happens in real life. And, you know, Dr. Hankins, she got to the point where her body and, and she, Dr. Hankins, you know, fell into what we would have all fallen into like, okay. Yeah. Like kind of people pleasing, like, oh, guilt, like shame, you know, all whatever, whatever emotions that comes up. And then she went to bed and she woke up and her body's like, no, we're not doing this. Like, I don't care what kind of feeling that you're feeling we're not doing this there's got to be something different that we do and so I really want y'all to like pause and really reflect and see where you are in your life and if the things that Dr. Hankins talked about as far as like approaching that day where her body did go in a panic if you're at all in that path maybe you're at the beginning maybe you're at the end or I don't know maybe you're at, at you know somewhere in the middle listen to it, right? There, there, there's a reason it's happening. It's not because you're weak. It's not because you're, I don't know, all these crazy thoughts that we have because you can't do it because you're a loser, because I don't know, you're not strong because you're not a superwoman. It's not, it's because you need 
the break or you need whatever your body is telling you to do. You need that time to take off. You need that time to for yourself. You need that time for introspection. You need that time to rest. You need that time to sleep, whatever that is for you. Okay. Sorry. Okay. No, so- <laughs> absolutely. I completely agree with what you were saying about really needing to listen to your body because in, in the months actually prior to that, I was sleep deprived, exhausted, having difficulty focusing. And, and so I was less efficient at work. I couldn't get my notes done. So that made it even more difficult for me to do my charting after work, which I was doing after I'd spend time with my son and put him to bed. And so I was staying up later and later and later. I wasn't going to sleep until like 1am, 2am, 3am, and then getting up again at like 530, you know, or six and, and going in the next day to see patients. And so this was, this was becoming my norm and Mm. I was not, I was doing charting on weekends. And so I I was working seven days a week, even though I wasn't in the office. Yeah. How many of us are doing that? Right. Right. And so it's a very familiar story. Right. Right. And so really listening and, and the way I put it is that God took me out when I couldn't take myself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, we refuse. We refuse to take ourselves out. That's one of the things that I'm working on this month is just resting, giving myself time to rest. And the inner dialogue is just insane. It is. It is. And all of those things that, that you know, we tell ourselves and we criticize ourselves around. And so I ended up taking, I thought I was going to be out for two weeks. I was out for 10 months. Awesome. (laughs) And it was the first time in my life that I really invested in me in terms of my time, in terms of um, my focus, in terms of, you know, money, in terms of all of that, I was investing in my well-being. What do you think made you do that? What do you think? Is it it just your body shutting down and like literally you couldn't move, right? Right, right. Well, you know, when I was thinking I was going to go back after a couple of weeks, you know, whatever, I'm going to take my, my, you know, little rest and pull it together, and, you know, because that's what we do. Right. And, but, but I was still, so I was on medical leave and, and I, and I honestly think this was illegal, but my, my boss was sending me messages. Like, I need you to close your notes. I need you to close your, so every time, like I went to my work computer at mm. home, Mm-hmm. which I still had at home, you know, I had another panic attack. Wow. And aside from that, I was fine. Yeah. Any time it had anything to do with work was when my anxiety reared its head. And aside from that, I was like, oh, okay, I have my life. Oh my God. You know? And, and so I had to learn mm-hmm. how to actually just be. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> right. I had to learn. Yeah. To actually have fun again. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to be present with mm-hmm. myself and with my family. 
Mm-hmm. I had to learn, and I guess I should say I got to learn rather mm-hmm. than I had to, but right. because, because of course it was a choice and one that, you know, I was so grateful to embark on this, this journey, but, but it was, it was unlearning mm-hmm. so much of the conditioning Mm-hmm. that we have as physicians mm-hmm. right and and actually recognizing that okay i get to take care of myself i need to take care of myself i i i'm worthy of yeah, taking i care want of to i want to take care yes. of myself there is you know there's uh, on instagram i look i was looking at something yesterday and there she wasn't a physician she was like a professional mom and she said something about she is a single mom and she has one child a daughter that's like seven eight and she had written a story and she's like I'm the most important thing in my life. My daughter is not the most important thing in my life. And I I paused and I was like, wow, she actually came out. Like, I think that in my head, right? Going through this journey. And I'm like, no, I'm going to take care of me first because I've learned that when you do take care of yourself, the other stuff outside of you just comes so much more naturally. Your energy changes, your vibration changes, your, your like being changes within whatever space that you're in. But I was like, I would not be that bold to put that statement out there, especially as like a pediatrician and a mother to be like, no, actually I'm the most important thing in my life. And I think again, because of the conditioning, cultural, you know, society, the expectations, whatever, we have been conditioned and taught to like, you are the last thing (laughs) in your life, Right. right? And, but if we continue with that mindset that we give and give and give to everyone else and everything else around us, there is no us to give. There's nothing that we have within us because we cannot continue to pour out when we do not allow ourselves to pour back in. And what you end up doing is you give from a place of resentment, from a place of obligation. And if you just sit in the energy and the feeling of resentment, do you want your child to have that energy coming from you, right? Or, or anger or obligation. Like those are really heavy energies. And I always say children feel you when you walk in the room. It doesn't matter if you got makeup on, high heels on, whatever, Gucci on, they will feel you. So the way that you are feeling in your body is what you are resonating to the outside world. So this is, that's why it's so important. And I talk about processing your feelings and knowing what the heck you feel. I didn't know what I I mean, no, like, why is it important for me to feel like, no, we got to get work done, right? There's nothing but feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. So being in touch with how we feel is something that we, well, most people have difficulty with, but we as physicians in particular have a difficult time with. I, and I, I find that to really be the case. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I did while I was on my leave yeah, tell us what you did. Yeah. Tell us everything you did. Not one of the things. Tell us all of it. Oh, <laughs> Ten yeah. months. Let me, 
So, so I, I spent time, I got into yoga, I was doing meditation, I was, I had already discovered EFT, emotional freedom techniques, Mm -hmm. a little bit before then, and before I, and I wanted to actually bring, and I was amazed by it, I thought it was fabulous, and I wanted to bring it into my work, Mm -hmm. but at that time, there was not as much evidence behind it, and there's a lot of evidence now, but and it's still considered, despite the evidence, it's still considered kind of woo in a lot of circles. But but back then, it was like, oh yeah. my god, there's witchcraft. No way it was witchcraft. Yes, there's <laughs> no way I am, you know, in any way going to damage my reputation. And here I am, already a woman and a and a black woman, you know, in Harvard systems and in you know, in, and the higher you go up in your, your kind of leadership roles and things like that. I'm like, no, I'm not going to already paint a bigger target on my back. Right? <laughs> so, so EFT stayed in the closet for me. I was a closet EFT or, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and that's one of the, 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 missions that I have with this podcast is to really integrate the Western and the Eastern medicine, because they each hold a specific place in the healing and in, in the coaching and the, in the treatment, right? Where it's physicians, we're already healers, right? And it's, it's just that, you know, not all the Eastern stuff has been evidence-based, but like, who can't like really who cares if it works use it why do I need a paper and a, you know I don't know all the lingo with research I never like research I just kind of like experiment anything why do we right. need all those things like if it works for this one person give people an option and if they don't if it works great if they don't great you're not you know, you're not putting like all these mindfulness and these Eastern things, you're not putting anything chemically inside of their body. It's all manipulation of like, you know, the mind and, 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 and the programming and the neuroscience, right? Yes. Yes. Everything starts with our mind. Well, everything actually starts with our energy and then, and in our, and then our mind. And so, you know, after, after quite a while of being with me and connecting and I had some other experiences that that really connected me and helped me understand energy in a whole different way. I eventually went back to work at a different job and I worked at a, a state mental health facility. In, in my mind, that was kind of the way the where I was at was I really needed to have a place where I could justify giving meds to people and and really just also wanted a position where it was more bound. Like this, this place didn't have call unless you wanted to do it. Okay. This place was it's just clock in, clock out. It was like shift yes, work or something. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Boundaries. And, and <laughs> Imagine so, that. so I was like, okay, I, this I could do. And then I started at that point, I actually brought EFT into some of my work with patients. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of the the therapists would come in and they would see it. And my patients were getting better. They were like, oh my God, this 
they were amazed. They were having, you know, these experiences where pain, I remember in particular, this one woman with a lot of anxiety, she, she had just had a car accident, actually, a, a couple of days prior to her appointment. And she had a lot of pain and was not able to move her arm above her head. She could only bring it up like mid chest level and have this pain shooting down her leg and had some difficulty taking in deep breaths. We did some tapping in the appointment and it was a longer appointment. It was like a 30 minute appointment or so. We did some tapping and at the end of the appointment, she was like, I don't know what you did, Dr. Hankins, but I feel so much better. She had no pain in her leg anymore. She was deep breathing. She was able to bring her arm above her head because the emotions that happened during that traumatic experience for the emotions, emotions get trapped in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have a way of releasing them, then they will cause ailments, whether it's a mental health issue, whether it's a physical issue, whether it's behaviors that we are not wanting to have, but yet we still seem to have, they will come out. And part of burnout, the definition of burnout is exhaustion. Well, that exhaustion is emote for us is emotional exhaustion, right? It's not being able to process the grief of the many patients that you've cared for and they've passed away. It's not being able to process the guilt of, uh, let's say the mommy guilt of leaving your kids at home when they were younger and having to miss birthday parties and having to miss uh, other events, right? Or it's the shame of, you know, whatever that emotion is, it's it's different for anyone. So when you feel, and when we, like for me, my story was I felt exhausted, but I felt like it was like, okay, well, maybe I'm just working too hard. I, I was, I was all based on the action. Okay. Let me pull back my hours. Let me sleep more, which those stuff definitely help. But for me, the emotion part was the last thing that I addressed. It wasn't even on my radar. And it's something that I'm still like struggling with and still trying to work through. And they're like, feel your emotions in your body. I'm like, wait, what? How do you do that? Right? Which right, I think right. A lot of us, we've been so blocked, right? So like as this protective mechanism of I'm not going to feel because I've got to do all this crap to, get, to, to survive in my right. 2000 roles that I have. Yes, exactly. And so, so it was after having seen me with a few patients, some of my, some of the, my coworkers were approaching me and said, can you do some of that with us, that Mm. EFT tapping stuff? And so I started doing lunch and learns. And, and so I would have people and we would do group tapping and I would have them come in and they were talking about maybe a charting issue and and the stress they were having from that or, or the lack of resources and feeling guilty or overworked or overburdened or, you know, this kind of thing. And so we were doing tapping and they were feeling much better. They were less stressed. They were getting their work done more easily. And some of them approached me to do one-on-one work. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how my, my business, my coaching business mm-hmm. really, you know, started because I already knew that that was probably the way I was going to go. And it, it just kind of happened, you know, in this kind of organic way. And, I really wanted to focus 
especially on physicians, Mm -hmm. because I I really view us as an underserved population. Totally. I love that. Totally. I agree. Yes. Completely neglected without any resources. Or even if there are resources, we don't use them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Because we're, we're, we're taught not to. And so this is, this is my work now. I'm, I now, you know, coach full-time. I'm, I, I coach physicians and high performers full time and I use EFT in all of my work because I find that it is such a powerful modality for helping physicians really connect with themselves and their emotions and their stuck behaviors and all of that. And in addressing the trauma that we have uniquely as physicians. Yeah. Oh my God. We could talk about the trauma. I'm going to have you on another podcast to solely talk about. So Dr. Hankins calls it the trauma of physicianhood. And oh my God, we could probably like like books and books and books on that. (laughs) What are some of the um, mindfulness kind of techniques? Give give our audience like some quick things that you use, you know, because people are like, I can't sit and meditate for like 30 minutes in my brain. you know, you probably heard all of it, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and one of the things that we, we need to understand about say, you know, trauma is that someone had described it before as an event that is too much, too fast and too soon Mm. for a, for our nervous system to actually handle. And at its core, trauma is a disconnect from feeling safe. And people think of trauma as these great big, you know, things. And it's not, and yes, it's that. It can be that. And it's so many other things. It's situations where you might feel humiliated, where you might feel invalidated, rejected, powerless, ashamed, or shamed by others, where you feel unsupported and alone and trapped. And so as I'm naming these things off, we can tick off so many of these things that we experience as physicians through our training, through med school. How many times did we get pimped, right? Mm -hmm. How many times did we, Mm -hmm. you know, get yelled at by attendings? Mm -hmm. How many times were we sleep deprived, food deprived, you know, anything, air going outside and out of the hospital deprived? Yeah, sun deprived. Right. Right. So, so we learn to stay in our heads Mm -hmm. because it's not safe to be in our bodies because our bodies are where we feel things. So of course we have difficulty connecting with our bodies because that's where we experience the trauma. And so, so part of the, the work is really connecting in safe ways, kind of revisiting our bodies and learning how to connect in safe ways with our bodies. And so some of the things that we can, we can do certainly are doing things like, and it may sound, you know, kind of so elementary, but connecting with our senses just by wherever you're sitting, Wherever you're sitting in this moment, you can do this five, four, three, two, one sensory exercise, which is basically wherever you're sitting in this moment, look around and notice five things you can see. Mm-hmm. And notice 
four things you can touch and touch those things, really feel the textures of things. You know, if you're sitting on a chair, you can feel the the firmness of your, your bottom connecting with the chair. You know, you can run your hands on your clothing and you can feel that. Three things that you can hear, kind of listen to the immediate things, but listen on a deeper level to the background noises. I can hear right now, like the hum of the little fan on my computer, you know, as we're talking, you know, so I can hear a, a plane in the distance, those types of things. Two things that you can taste. I can taste my tea that I had earlier this morning and some almonds that I ate, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. and, and one thing that you can smell. So that's something that, you know, take the time to do that. And, and there's another exercise that I really like that I call, I, I, I kind of coined this, the seven breaths exercise. So, so that's really, as you take a breath in, envision that breath going in. So envision it. So you're, you're picturing it going into your lungs and feeling your chest expand. So that's the first breath. Mm-hmm. And the second and the third breaths, you envision pulling that breath into your abdomen, down to your belly button, you know, and feel your abdomen expand. And then your fourth breath is envisioning pulling that breath down into your pelvis and your legs and your toes and really sensing once again, you know, your lower body expanding and filling with that breath. And then, you know, breath five is envisioning pulling that breath upwards into your arms, into your neck, into your head, mm-hmm. and, and really feeling that, that breath flowing into those parts of your body. And then breath six and seven, you can envision pulling that breath into all of your body and experience it just spreading throughout your chest, your abdomen, your legs, your feet, your arms, your neck, your head, and feel that sensation of that breath. Yeah. yeah. And knowing, so this, this is awesome. So two things on my part, the five, four, three, the senses part. Yes. I've been, so I walk a lot. So what I do when I go down one street, I'll choose like, okay, I'm going to stimulate my hearing sense down this street. And then I tune into whatever the birds. And then if, and then I turn to another street, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stimulate my vision sense. And so I start looking at the details of the flowers, things that you don't, there's so much beauty and so much detail in the things that we, in the world that we just kind of take for granted. So I, so then I started doing this with like my eating. Okay. So like mindfulness eating sense sitting at the table. I have three teenagers. I'm sitting at the table and, and we're eating. And I was like, oh, okay, let me do my mindfulness eating. So I bring the spoon up and I'm like, just smelling it. Like it's paused by my face and I'm like smelling it. And I did it a couple of times and my son turned on. He's like, why are you smelling your food, mom? Weird. That is no. fabulous. <laughs> Knowing that when you start doing these, like, there's some behaviors that are just have not been seen and that are not the norm for other people. So you might get fun, made fun of, or people might look at you and roll their eyes, but it's totally okay. 
<laughs> it is. Oh my God. I love that so, so much. It just reminds me of, you know, because when I do my tapping and EFT, people, yeah. people, it, it, it looks different. You yeah. know, it's yeah. not your usual. I'm tapping on my head. I'm tapping on my you know, upper body. It's so, but I'm so used to it that I don't, I don't even care. I will do it sometimes if I'm sitting in traffic, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. One time we had, uh, there was a power outage and I had clients and I was doing tapping in my car. I had a client and I was, you know, using my phone and I was parked, you know, outside my house and a neighbor came by an elderly neighbor and he because he, he saw that I had stopped I mean I was like you know writing some some notes or something and and he he knocked on the window and he was like are, are, are you are you okay I saw you doing some tapping and I thought maybe you were trying to get the circulation going in your body or I just want to make sure you were all right <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then guys know that when you do these exercises, I always tell, it's not like you have a headache, you take Motrin and 30 minutes, the, Motrin, the headache is gone. You've got to practice it. Like the first 10 times when you do it, you'll probably be like, wait, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not feeling anything. I don't even understand what she's talking about. And then I use that visualization. So I use breath and visual, visualization and that has saved my life. And when you use it together and I use it on in all my meditations and I think our breath, we take that for so for granted, our breath is the bridge from the outside to the inside world. Your breath is what gives you life. We know that as physicians, right? As doctors, the breath gives you life. So use it to give that vitality, to put that vitality back into your life, right? And it's really, I, I work with a Reiki healer. So he uses a lot of breath work and he does exactly the visualizations of, and we use a lot of visualizations of the light, right? Whether that be the sun or whatever light that you like and breathing it in and breathing it into, and Dr. Hankins, I'm going to get woo here, but she was literally talking about your chakras, right? She was talking about like, you know, your third eye and your your chest. Yeah. We're going to talk about the woo on this podcast, but nobody else does. So it's my podcast. I love whatever. Yeah. So bringing it into those energy centers. Right. And I love what she said about like all this healing is from the mind. It starts with the mind, but prior to the mind, it starts with the energy and that energy, you know, part of your breath work is using that, that energy to be able to vitalize yourself, to be able to give yourself that energy when you're so bogged down in these emotions that these heavy emotions that you've been carrying for so many years. So yeah, so this is amazing stuff. So she gave y'all two very specific concrete things that you can use, right? You can use the five senses. Don't be rolling your eyes and saying, I've done it. No, do it every day for 30 days, right? (laughs) And do it until it makes a habit. And then the second thing that she shared with us is her seven breath technique. Is that what you write it called it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can actually incorporate after, you know, you do that breathing, you can incorporate some of the Reiki energy and bring that 
into your your crown chakra so the top of your head and and bring that down into your body and you can give it whatever color you want and you know so when I do that I bring it down into my body and slowly gradually down throughout my entire body and I feel that and I envision that and then I bring it back up to the level of my heart and radiate it out of my heart all around my body and really assign, kind of connect with that color and say, what, what emotion does that feel like? Does it feel like compassion? Does it feel like gratitude? Does it feel like love? Does it feel like peace or serenity? And then I, I give that, when I connect with that, then I bring it back into my heart, that color mm-hmm. and that emotion and spread that through my body. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do that, guys, so I have my youngest is a 12 year old and she's, she's not a sensitive person, but she's sensitive to, to, to vibrations. She's very intuitive, just like kids are, but she's just more intuitive than other kids. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just like picking it up more because I know what it is now. And this past week has been just a crazy week for me. And so she, and I'm sure she did this before, except that I kind of like griped at her or I said, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a kid, like stop criticize me. And you don't know how life, a hard life is and blah, 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 whatever we tell our kids. Right. But there's been two distinct times where I have one was in the kitchen. I had just woken up and I don't know what was happening, but it wasn't, it was something bad that was happening that I thought it was bad. And you know how your brain is very like dramatic. So it makes it seem like you're going to die because this one thing is happening. And I walked down, it was like 7 a.m. I, we do, I did carpool. I was taking her to school and I walked down the stairs and she's like, oh, mom, you're mad. So how would she know that? Like, I I had not seen her all morning. I had not spoken a word to her, right? Literally just my physical presence. And when I get mad at, because I've lived in madness for so much of my life and madness is a very heavy energy and and my madness is more rage than madness, right? So even if I try to keep it within, she can still feel it. And so I literally walked down and she felt my energy and she was like, oh, why are you mad? There's no reason that she would have ever known that I was mad. I hadn't shared anything with her. Yesterday was fine. We had just woken up and she's done that on numerous occasions. So if you have kids, if you have kids that can verbalize that, and what happens is the more you validate what they're saying and the more you appreciate what they're saying instead of like I'm not bad how dare you whatever instead of like oh wow you really picked up on the fact that I'm mad thank you for pointing that out right let me go find out why I'm mad because sometimes you don't know why you're mad Right. But your kid knows why that you are mad, that you don't know what energy that you're holding. You don't know what feeling that you're holding. So when your child comes out and says something that triggers you, like pause and be like, oh, let, let me look. Let me track back. Let me reflect and see, am I jealous? Am I critical? Am I whatever that they say? And nine, like 99.9% of the time, they're right. And if you do your work, then you'll find out that, okay, yeah, I was mad because of X, Y, and Z. Yes. And with that, two quick things. One is that you are actually validating your child's experience. And in doing that, you're 
helping them and teaching them to listen to their own bodies. So you're validating their felt sense of what they are experiencing, whether it's their intuition, their whatever, how they're experiencing the energy and the the vibration, the frequency, whatever you want to call it. It's like tuning into a radio dial, right? A radio station. They are picking up this certain station that you might not be aware of yet, but they've tuned into it and they're like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not really liking that station. This is what I'm hearing, you know? And, but you're validating that so that they can also know that, wow, okay, I was on the mark. I know what it feels like in my body when I'm correct in that. So you're giving them great feedback. And then the other piece of that for, for you is when, when we have a difficult time describing what the emotion is, Mm -hmm. just kind of tuning into the felt sensation Mm -hmm. because we emotions once again we feel them in our bodies and so if you can allow yourself to just kind of locate it in the body okay what does that feel like and that's another thing that you know with with tapping with the EFT that's a great tool for connecting with the emotion Mm -hmm. of your body and even if you can't give it a name we can do tapping on okay I have this like heavy feeling in my low back Mm -hmm. and uh, you know it just feels like you know this the spasm or whatever Mm -hmm. and so we can tap specifically on that and as you do that it unwinds that feeling so then you have the thought that is associated with that drops in naturally the emotion mm-hmm. drops in naturally and you are combining these things you know in such you work a backwards way. right yeah right. so you don't I love that with EFT you can start at the thought you can start at the emotion you can start mm-hmm. at the sensation mm-hmm. you can do all of these things and it just helps to decrease your stress response Mm -hmm. allows you to be more present in your body and connect your thought, your emotion and your body in this and your energy system in this really organic way. And from there, you just naturally flow into without any forcing Mm -hmm. more self-acceptance, more Mm self-compassion, all of these things that we want as physicians, you know, for ourselves, for our self-care to view ourselves through this less critical light. These are things that organically happen with EFT, which is one of the reasons I love it. We don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. We think all the friggin' time, right? So so this is such a beautiful way of meeting you exactly where you are and helping you get to where you want to be. That's amazing. Okay, last words. Let's see. For physicians that are, which most of us are, because I think this is this is a, a, it's a spectrum, right? And we all fall on this it's spectrum. So we can all be at different stages. So let's talk to last words or one, you know, word of wisdom to physicians that are still in the hamster wheel is what I call it. Right. Yeah. And still, you know, believing in that narrative of this is not possible. And I, this is just the way I've always done it. And I don't have time that I don't have time. And this feels like a task. 
you know, I, I, we, I can't do it, or I still have kids at home, or I am a single mom. I mean, you know, like all these excuses to where they are not willing to take that next step to, to some, do something for themselves, like prioritize something for themselves on a daily basis. I don't care what it is, as long as it's something. What would you tell them? I would really have them because sometimes when they're so stuck in the present, they have a very difficult time because they're so used to it. But if you actually look a year into the future Mm -hmm. and you are still continuing at this pace, (laughs) what are you going to look like? What's your life going to look like? What's your relationship with your kids going to look like? How exhausted are you going to be? And that can sometimes be a wake-up call of like, oh my God, if I continue another year at mm-hmm. that at this pace, mm-hmm. another three years, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. I am going to leave medicine. I am going to just fall apart. There's no way I can do this. Okay, so if you don't want to end up there, mm-hmm. then you need to, to start making the changes now. Yeah. And they can be small changes. Yeah, yeah they totally. don't have to be monumental changes. As a matter of fact, if we try to do the monumental changes, it's not going to stick. Mm-hmm. So it might be just before you go into the house, before, you know, uh, after work. You sit in the car and you just listen to a song that you really like. Just create a little space for you. So learn to create space for you. Do a little breathing for you. You know, before you walk in the house, kind of tell your kids, okay, I'm going to be sitting in the car for like 10 minutes and I am and and kind of start to train them. Don't worry about me. I'm just getting centered and I'm kind of washing the day away. And, you know, you can start a practice like that, just creating 10 minutes in your day, five minutes of 10 minutes feels like too much. I journal a lot. So every time my, you know, my energy kind of goes high and I'm yelling or whatever, and I'm upset, my son's like, oh, mom, I think it's time to journal. (laughs) He knows, he knows, right? Right. You know, my son, my son will say something similar with the tapping. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. mom, you need to go do some tapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they remind you and what I, and I love it because that's, you know, instead of like, mom, you need to go drink a glass of wine yep. or you need to go whatever, right? You're yep. modeling like journaling for them or tapping for them or walking for them, whatever that is for you, right? Whatever that outlet is for you. So I, I I just love this stuff. Okay. Tell us where our, our physicians can find you. Yes, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Melissa Hankins, MD, or you can email me at hello at Melissa Hankins, coaching.com. If you do go on Instagram, in my bio, there's a link tree kind of link. And if you click on that, you can sign up for a free 60-minute consultation call with me. So, you know, we can talk about what's going on for you, you know, talk about a a few things that might be helpful for you to institute (laughs) and really have you kind of get started. And if you feel like you want to go further, we can talk about that too. 
Amazing. And we're going to, guys, we're going to have all the links in our show notes down at the bottom. And thank you so much. We're definitely going to bring Dr. Hankins back and let me, y'all let me know if you are interested in the trauma of um, physicianhood, which sounds fabulous. And we're going to have an entire uh, other episode on that where we will dissect into like what these traumas look like, because I agree the traumas that came to my mind before this are like sexual trauma, abuse, you know, physical trauma. Those are the big T traumas that we know, but then, you know, the little T traumas are the ones that, that we, most of us have not been exposed to, but we have actually lived through and experienced. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they show up as those behaviors that get us into trouble. They show up as perfectionism. They show up as workaholism. So we'll definitely talk about that. I'm excited. Yeah, we can definitely relate to perfectionism and workaholism. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have an amazing day. Thank you so much again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has just been wonderful. And uh, and I'm excited to, to see what kind of things your audience will put into place for themselves. You know, just one little thing. Just try one thing. Yes, guys. One thing. You have time. It takes five minutes. Don't let your toddler brain tell you otherwise. Okay. See y'all next week. Bye-bye. Are you ready to connect with your authentic self and transform your life with mindful living? Email me at palabonsogol at gmail.com to set up a discovery call for your mindfulness coaching. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to learn more tools and resources. See y'all next week.